the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, January 20, 2021. All this talk about paranoid conspiracy theories, election conspiracy theories, even ramping them up to constitute impeachment of the 45th president, and yet we have this, which will go largely unremarked upon. John Hinderocker reports Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi in a podcast Monday speculated that Vladimir Putin was behind the intrusion in the Capitol two weeks ago. Pelosi appeared on a special episode of Clinton's podcast, You and Me Both, on Monday to discuss the Capitol riot and the incoming Biden administration. During the 30-minute conversation, Clinton and Pelosi floated a conspiracy theory that Putin was the mastermind behind the riot and that Trump is a Russian puppet. Clinton began, quote, I hope historically, I hope historically we will find out who Trump is beholden to, who pulls his strings. I would love to see his phone records to see whether he was talking to Putin the day that the insurgents invaded our capital. But we now know that not just him, but his enablers, his accomplices, his cult members have the same disregard for democracy. Close quote. Hillary is deep into mental health territory here. Needless to say, there is zero evidence that Putin or any other foreign leader had anything to do with the breakdown in security at the Capitol. Hillary has skulked through the last four years, muttering conspiracy theories about President Trump and refusing to accept the legitimacy of his election. It is particularly rich that she is still trying to play the Russian card, given that it was she herself who bought and paid for the fake Russian dossier. And she knows full well that it was a fraud, her fraud. This, too, from the woman who presented the Putin regime with a reset button early in the Obama administration. But Nancy Pelosi was on board with Clinton's bizarre theory. I do, Pelosi responded, quote, to your point of who is he beholden to, as I've said over and over, as I said to him in that picture with my blue suit as I was leaving, what I was saying to him as I was pointing rudely at him with you, Mr. President, all roads lead to Putin. I don't know what Putin has on him politically, financially, or personally, but what happened last week was a gift to Putin, because Putin wants to undermine democracy in our country and throughout the world. Close quote. Actually, I would say that the events of July 6 were a gift to the Democratic Party, John writes, but I still wouldn't assert that they were orchestrated by Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi. Pelosi went on to suggest that members of Congress gave tours to rioters ahead of time to acquaint them with the Capitol's layout and that such members should be criminally prosecuted. This is just one more in a long series of incidents demonstrating that the leaders of the Democratic Party are living in cuckoo land. I would say paranoid election conspiracy theories, but evidently those only apply to one party or one man. From the This Is Going to Be Special files, Paul Mirangoff alerts us to Joe Biden's nominee for Assistant Secretary of Health. Rachel Levine is Joe Biden's selection for Assistant Secretary of HHS. She will be the first transgender nominee to a Senate-confirmed position. 
or maybe just the first known one, who cares? As Ed Morrissey shows, while while Levine ran the Pennsylvania Health Department, she followed the example of Andrew Cuomo in ordering nursing homes to readmit residents who tested positive for COVID-19. Levine then made sure to get her own mother out of the nursing home to avoid the consequences of her decision. Good call for mama, bad call for public health. Six of the ten long-term care facilities with the most coronavirus deaths nationwide are in Pennsylvania. Even Democratic politicians in Pennsylvania have acknowledged the folly of ordering nursing homes to accept recovering coronavirus patients. And, of course, Levine recognized it when she pulled her mother from one of them. Levine's scandalous behavior was widely reported at the time. Team Biden must have known about it. Nonetheless, it tabbed her for a top health care job. Ed thinks Levine's nomination might have been the result of a breakdown in the vetting process. Alternatively, he suggests that maybe identity politics trumped the obvious problem of Levine's coronavirus double standard. I'm I'm inclined to go with that explanation, but who knows? Will Senate Democrats balk at the nomination of someone who put tens of thousands of people at risk of dying in nursing homes and then pulled her mother out of the death trap she had imposed? Maybe, but I'm not counting on it. Senate Dems are no less enthralled by identity politics than Biden's team. And, of course, identity politics trumps everything else, from reason to fact to ability to accomplishment. One of the smartest things I read this year, I know, thus far, is this from Ben Dominich, who will be on our show later today. He writes, quote, The central question Americans ought to consider on this inauguration day as the old order returns, is whether what they are seeing in their country is happening because it is strong or because it is weak. On its face, a capital city packed with a military presence, an occupation hailed by the media as the swamp protects itself, may seem like a show of force, a reiteration of law and order above all else. As Chris Bedford writes this morning, all that needed to happen for Tom Cotton's idea to become reality was for the seat of the powerful to be attacked instead of the neighborhoods in Kenosha. Had the federal government and the Department of Justice been willing to do what Donald Trump wanted them to do this summer, perhaps people would have learned earlier that rioting does not pay. But that's not what they learned, and for good reason. Wiser observers will understand that a capital city in need of such an overwhelming military presence, if only for the mental and emotional stability of the so-called leaders who inhabit it, also indicates a vast maw of weakness. The frail leadership of the United States is the great unremarked phenomenon of this moment. In this moment of crisis, we have what appears to be the most elderly class of political elites in the history of the nation. The octogenarian and septuagenarian set of Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Dick Durbin are white-knuckling it to the end of their careers, attempting to make their mark before leaving the stage and passing things on to people who share none of their memories of the time before. The brittle leadership class in our politics inhabits the same America as a much younger leadership class of corporatist tech oligarch, unmoored from any deep understanding of what made the nation the envy of the world. They believe they have inherited the godhead of the universe with the ability and the duty to reshape the globe as they see fit. 
Where the aged elected officials dither, they have the ability to act to make the world a better place. And they will do it by controlling to the greatest degree possible what people see, know, think, and ultimately how they vote. When there's not a lot of new insight in our society right now, I thought that hugely insightful. And it reminded me of what historian Bill McClay wrote about having a contextual understanding of the culture and its history. For the human animal, McClay writes, meaning is not a luxury. It is a necessity. Without it, we perish. Historical consciousness is to civilized society what memory is to individual identity. Without memory, and without the stories by which our memories are carried forward, we cannot say who or what we are. Without them, our life and thought dissolve into a meaningless, unrelated rush of events. A meaningless, unrelated rush of events. That is what we get from the media and the political class now. And I think its opposite is our job, to reclaim a culture and society. Conservatism today must take as its first task the providing and teaching of meaning and the contextualization of events. Is there an audience for it beyond the women whimsy of anarchic leftism? I'd like to think so, and we'll soon find out. In his inaugural speech today, Joe Biden said, Unity is the path forward. Unity is the path forward to the crises we face. I worry about what that means, especially when he then said the next thing, quote, Politics doesn't have to be a raging fire destroying everything in its path. Every disagreement doesn't have to be a cause for total war, close quote. We think that's the Democratic Party's tactic, total war, raging fire. And I don't know if the Democrats actually think that it's ours, too. He said America boasts, quote, the right to dissent peaceably within the guardrails of our republic. It's perhaps the nation's greatest strength. Yet hear me clearly, disagreement must not lead to disunion, close quote. I'll simply point out, we were never more disunited than last summer, far more than what some 300 political misfits and anarchists did two weeks ago that's trying to be hung around our necks. We are far more disunited when we change the date of our founding. We are far more disunited when people can praise the national anthem and stand for it only when a Democrat is in power. I never heard so many praises of the national anthem as I did today, since probably before 2015 or 2016. I guess all its representation of racism and brutality ended today. So will unity be reaching out? Of course not. Not with the continued incantations today tying violence and white supremacy to the previous administration and its supporters. Unity, I fear, will be enforced or attemptedly enforced unification of consent. That's not democracy. And no, Joe, that's not America either. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 uh, give us a call. It's a new day. My gosh, is it a new day? I am watching um, Joe Biden live, President Biden live from the Oval Office inside wearing a mask. And the mask thing is a big deal. It's one of his uh, executive orders mandating masking of federal employees and in all federal workspaces. Um, 
But why a mask inside the Oval Office if he doesn't have COVID, which I presume he doesn't? What good is that mask? More importantly, is 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 not everyone who is within the vicinity of the president tested for COVID? At least that was the protocol around the previous president. Have they lowered that protocol standard? I have a hard time believing that. Not even Anthony Fauci speaks in front of a microphone with a mask. There, there's, there's, all, there's okay. It's, it's, it's going to be special. These uh, next uh, year or so, next couple of years. Uh, what I said also in my um, monologue, I want to reiterate, I think um, it's important that we just point out a few things here and there. If you heard the national anthem sung by Lady Gaga, it was a very good version. She is a very talented singer. There, If you Google Gaga national anthem, you'll get millions, millions of praiseworthy um Statements about it. CNN, hear Lady Gaga sing the national anthem at inauguration. USA Today, Lady Gaga stuns with rousing national anthem. Washington Post, our national anthem ends with a question. Lady Gaga answered it. Um, And more encomiums to it. I guess it's okay to praise the national anthem now. Am I wrong? But didn't we go through three and a half years where it was not okay to praise the national anthem? Okay. well, now that we have a Democrat as the president, maybe this is the new unity. If there's a Democrat who's the president, it's okay to praise and stand for the national anthem. That would be um, that would be that would be the new rule we're going to live in. I'll help you explain the new rules that we're going to live under here as we go forward. That'll be a good use for this show. Biden's first executive order is the mandated mask usage in federal buildings. Um, there's another executive order he signed, and it frankly astounds me. I am not astounded by the fact that he is signing executive orders on the Paris Climate Accord or on the border wall or even on the mask mandate. All of that was spoken about. All of that was expected. I'm not surprised by any of it. And, um, as far as I'm concerned, I you know, we can we can debate the propriety of executive orders and their misuse. They've been misused by others. But I'm not I'm not surprised. I'll tell you one that did surprise me, especially all this talk about unity. Yesterday I was telling you about what I think, and I'm not the first to say it, I forget who first said it. It might have been David Reaboy. Perhaps one of the best documents the US government ever published since seventeen eighty seven was the 1776 report. It's not that long. It's a 40-page or so report that was written by Larry Arne and Charles Kessler and Matt Spaulding, all friends, all frequent guests on this show. Larry Arne of Hillsdale, Charles Kessler of Claremont, and um, Matt Spaulding of Hillsdale. And it was a report to counter the 1619 Project, effectively. It was a report that in... Great scholarship and also great ease of reading in six sections talked about the meaning and importance of American history, the meaning of the Declaration, the Constitution, what slavery, uh, how slavery was a challenge to our principles and why. Progressivism, fascism, communism, racism, identity politics, it's really good. Biden signed an executive order to get rid of that commission. Okay, a little odd. Why not let that just flow out there and stay out there 
if you believe that we don't have to be at war with each other in that, how did he put it? He said, our speech should be peaceable within the guardrails of our republic. It's our greatest strength. So what did the White House do? They took down the link, the White House link, to the 1776 Commission report that I referenced and tweeted out yesterday. So if you wanted to read this report based on it having a whitehouse.org or whitehouse.gov web link from the tweet I tweeted out yesterday, you can't now. You can't go to it. This White House, today's, Joe Biden's White House, took down yesterday's White House posting of a White House report, the 1776 Commission report. Because I guess, I guess, the 1776 Commission report, led by Kessler, Arn, and Spalding, is not, to use Biden's words, within the guardrails of our republic. So I am actually quite concerned about what his quest for and call for and promise of unity means. I don't think it means what he says when he says dissent is an important part of our democracy so long as it's within the guardrails. That's the trick part, what he defines as the guardrails of our democracy. That's the trick part, what he defines as the guardrails of our republic. The 1776 report is not in it. It's not in it. You can't study the 1776 report that yesterday's White House Commission put out. They've taken it down. So if you want to read it and you haven't yet, and I think it's really good, you can still follow me on Twitter at Seth Leibson. I provided another link. There is another open source website. It's not the White House government website, but there is another open source website, ipfs.io, that does have that report handy. I think it's an incredible purge. I think it's an incredible memory hole. Um, it's right out, right out of George Orwell, right? Everything you don't want, you just throw down the memory hole. This was the topic, actually, of Larry Arne's most recent essay in Imprimus. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible to me that they think we're overreacting when, um, when we compare what the left is doing to works they don't like when we invoke the quote from Orwell that, you know, what, how's it go? Every record is destroyed or falsified, every book rewritten, every picture repainted, every statue and street building renamed, every date altered, every date altered. Yeah, 1776 was altered to 1619. And the process is continuing day by day, minute by minute. History has stopped. They stopped history today, the Biden administration. They stopped the study of history. You cannot read the 1776 Commission's report on the history of America as written by a group of scholars that included, heaven forfend, Larry Arne and Victor Hansen and Charles Kessler and so many great others like Wilfred McClay. It's an incredible thing. They think we're overreacting. We're not. We're getting it exactly right. I'm Seth Leibson. Call me with your thoughts. 602-508-0960. Be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Love to hear any thoughts you have on the inaugural address or the coverage of it. Uh, Chris Wallace said it was the best inaugural address he's ever heard after saying how many inaugural addresses he's heard. By the way, did you see Fox News uh, fired Chris Steyerwalt? Remember Chris Steyerwalt, one of the election night anchors, one of their political um, – not election night anchors, election night analysts, numbers crunchers, one of their political uh, correspondents, uh, does a, or used to do a podcast with Dana Perino. He's gone. Fox is, I suppose, uh, going through uh, an effort now to regain some of what it lost. But uh, Chris Wallace uh, said it was the best inauguration speech he's ever heard. I, um, I study these things, as you know. I've helped with some of them. And... Um, I think it went a little long. I thought it was up to a point okay, not better than okay, um, but, you know, it's hard to remember great ones. Most people don't. Uh, Reagan, government's the problem. That's memorable. Does anyone remember even Reagan's second inaugural? Not so much, right? It's hard to remember them uh, uh, unless unless they're, you know, spectacular. John Kennedy's would be an example. But there is a part to the Biden thing that just rubs, uh, rubs harshly. Uh, This continued notion of how divided we are, um, talking about how he comes to office facing the harsh reality that racism, nativism, fear, and demonization have brought. Racism, nativism, fear, and demonization. There's this odd effort by the Democrats and Joe Biden to make it appear that um, how do you how, how, how should I see this there's this odd effort to make it appear unless you're with the Biden and Democratic Party you support racism and nativism that's 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 I guess how I want to put it unless you're with them, you're with the racists and nativists. This would go to the statement Don Lemon made last week. This would go to, indeed, the entire, I'm going to call it this at this point, charade of the National Guard and the hunkering down and locking down of the of the Washington, D.C. area for this inauguration. They kept talking about an abundance of caution there was no real credible threat to any of the to any to any harm coming to this inauguration and there was no effort today to breach it or broach it this was all one big show to act as if they have to be a garrison inauguration or a garrison presidency because republicans because racism nativism fear i don't know why we had to listen to Amy Klobuchar open the inauguration ceremonies talking about the miracle that they could be there today given the insurrection of two weeks ago. Insurrection? This insurrection talk. Insurrection. Is that what it was? Is that what it was? Is that the right word for it? Insurrection? Violence against a government? Wouldn't Taking over police stations be an insurrection? Wouldn't firebombing for a month, nights on end, a federal courthouse 
be an insurrection? Wouldn't taking over entire city blocks and expelling police be an insurrection, leading to the resignation of major police chiefs in major cities? Isn't that more an insurrection than 300 political anarchists and misfits, some of whom some of whom are leftists, doing God knows what for two hours, three hours at most? Is that, is that really an insurrection that's going to continually be tied around our necks and our throats? I suppose, I suppose, but again, we're in the George Orwell mode of having history be rewritten before our very eyes. And I guess it's pretty easy to rewrite history when it's only six months old. You know, we've talked about the effect of jumping from lily pad to lily pad, from crisis to crisis, and news story to news story, so with that we can't have a memory, almost as if we've had Harrison Bergeron implants put into our heads. But that's, um, that's what they're doing. Six months ago didn't exist. Taking over of police headquarters didn't exist. 14,000 arrests didn't exist. 30 deaths didn't exist. What existed only started two weeks ago. If you need something uplifting, how about watching the story of a great man, the story of Herman Cain, poor to CEO, the incredible journey of Herman Cain, one of the most inspirational and entertaining films of the last year. You can get it at SalemNow.com. Herman Cain, uh, someone I knew uh, for a while, pretty well, uh, great man, rose from the poorest of the poor, humblest of the humble beginnings, lived the American dream to become the CEO of one of America's uh, more well-known corporations, ran for president, has a tremendous career in, uh, as a radio broadcaster. He was an amazing man, Herman Cain, and it's uh, his story, Porta CEO, that you can get uh, now. It's very inspirational at SalemNow.com. Make sure to use discount code PHOENIX to save 20%. Now they tell us. Now they tell us. That's the... Um, that's 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 the headline for this segment. Holman Jenkins writes in the Wall Street Journal, in the weeks since Election Day, a New York Times writer said that Joe Biden can now acknowledge the strength of the Trump economy. Fareed Zakaria himself of CNN says we can now admit the dirty little secret that Donald Trump was, in fact, tough on China. In the New York Review of Books, there's a championship essay by Perry Link, uh, uh, Perry Link's essay, Champions, some of China's most illustrious descendants, uh, dissidents, illustrious Chinese dissidents, um, praising Donald Trump for speaking out on their behalf. So what did Zarkaria say after the election? Pretty funny. Quote, I think in general there's not going to be as much difference on Russia as people imagine. The Biden folks are pretty tough on Russia, Iran, North Korea. And, you know, the dirty little secret about the Trump administration was that while Donald Trump may have had a soft spot for Putin, the Trump administration was pretty tough on the Russians. They armed, the, they armed Ukraine. They armed the Poles. They extended NATO operations and exercises in ways that the Obama administration had not done. They maintained the sanctions 
So I don't think it'll be that different. Byron York writes, the dirty little secret? It's never a secret at all. All of the actions Zakaria listed were well-known public policy during the Trump years. Any of Zakaria's colleagues at CNN and in the press as a whole might have cited them, but instead chose to contribute to the Russia hysteria that began before the president was even inaugurated. Um, When Trump tweeted, for example, in 2018, I have been much tougher on Russia than Obama. Just look at the facts. Um, CNN pronounced simply false, not true. Washington Post wrote an editorial. The facts suggest the opposite. But of course, Trump's tweet was true. Incoming Secretary of State Antony Blinken testified yesterday in his Senate confirmation hearings that Donald Trump's was approach to China was right. President Trump was right in taking a tougher approach to China. No party has a monopoly on good ideas, Blinken said, and the genocide designation was an excellent designation by Mike Pompeo earlier in the week. That's the incoming Biden Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. Where did all this agreement with things Trump did, where was all this agreement? I thought Donald Trump was a fascist dictator, appeaser of Russia. Hillary Clinton earlier in the week and Nancy Pelosi earlier in the week together were still talking about how Vladimir Putin had 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 um, had evidence on Trump that made him beholden to them, that he was still pulling Putin was still pulling Trump's strings and still believes that all roads lead to Putin. I don't know what Putin has on him politically, financially or personally. Pelosi said. But what happened on January 6th was a gift to Putin because Putin wants to undermine democracy in our country and that Trump was probably in conversation with him. Of course, only Trump's conspiracy theories are subjected to such things as impeachment. Do you think the Senate will go along, by the way, with holding an impeachment conviction hearing? You know, that's that's one thing that Joe Biden, there, maybe there were two things Joe Biden could have said today or still could say today to show he means anything when he talks about unity other than enforced unification and of consent. He could publicly call on, he could privately call on Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi to drop impeachment. That would be one. And he could call on social media to quit censoring conservatives. I really do worry about, I really do worry about what Joe Biden's view of the right to dissent peaceably means when he says, as long as it's, quote, within the guardrails of our republic. Well, we know the 1776 report is not within the guardrails of our republic. Why? Why? Because it defends our founding? Because it explicates what the Declaration of Independence meant? Because it goes into trying to understand and explain how this country could have and end slavery, how this country has dealt with things like fascism and communism because it had study plans for students who wanted to learn about American history from some other organization that didn't include the New York Times, which wanted to change our history. 
That's not within the guardrails, evidently, of our republic. I think that's an astounding thing. I think it's beyond astounding that they took that down. Um, one of the, as I mentioned in my, um, one of the things that I mentioned in my monologue was this essay by um, Ben Dominich that uh, he put out this morning in his uh, daily email. And it really is one of the smartest things I've read. We're going to have him on at the top of the next hour. The central questions Americans ought to consider on this inauguration day as the old order returns is whether what they see, what they are seeing in their country is happening because it is strong or because it is weak. The Democratic Party, the left in this country is led by two wings, two sides of an age group that is not in touch with the rest of this country. You have the octogenarian and septuagenarian set of Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn, Chuck Schumer, and Dick Durbin on the one hand. And then you have the 20-something and 30-something tech oligarchs on the other. And I think it's just really interesting to think about. That's what we're governed by. 70 and 80-year-olds white-knuckling it, holding on, and 20 and 30-somethings telling us what we should think, who have no contextualized history of America or politics. I think it's fascinating and frightening. Little Charlie Pride for you. We lost him this past year. Sad loss. That was a song I used to sing to Dagny. It would get her to dance when I first got her. Did I tell you that? Question about dogs when they see people come to the door that they know. Raise that a little bit later. Keith's in Atlanta. Hi, Keith. Hey, Seth. How are you doing? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing okay. Hey, real quick. What you said about Hillary in your monologue, that she's she's mental or whatever. I, I, I do think the woman has a lot of anger issues. I think the woman is just deeply bitter. She married Bill Clinton, lived with him all those years, put up with all that stuff, and she felt entitled to be president. Yeah. And when it didn't go through, she's just angry and showing it more and more. And she's going to be even jealous when Kamala becomes president. I, but, I, yeah, no, there's a lot of anger to her, a lot of anger. I mean, it, it takes a bitterness to claim your opposition is a basket of deplorables. Yes, she's a very angry person. Yes, she is. But, but what I called about is this. I find it rather interesting that the, that the leadership of the Democrat Party, they truly hate the core of who America, what America is freedom and stand for a righteousness and justice throughout the world. No other nation has done so good for the world, even for our own enemies. Whenever there's a natural disaster, we are the first to step in and help. And they hate America, but what they're changing America to, and, and we as conservatives, okay, we, we don't like that you liberals hate America because it's, this country has been so good to us. I mean, but they, they hate America and they want to change America. 
and they're going to force conservatives to love that America that they bring. And I want to say one last thing about America, how great this nation is. It's so bigoted and so hateful and so forth. Why has this country been so good to the Obamas? And the Obamas, you can tell they just dislike this good country. Well, it's an interesting thing that we keep hearing what a bigoted country we are as we see a transfer of power that celebrates and welcomes, you know, a twice-elected African-American president and is talking about history's first African-American um, or person of color, I guess, is the more accurate phrase these days, female vice president. It's an amazing thing to be keep being told what a bigoted place we are as we are watching uh, example and evidence and example and evidence and example of evidence parade before our very eyes things that would prove that we aren't a bigoted nativist racialized country see i wonder when joe biden talks about how divided we are and how we're in an uncivil war i wonder if we really are or if the Democrats just want us to think we are. <laughs>